It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to our Thursday podcast. We welcome you to the Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios based in San Diego. John, we're going towards a great sports weekend. We're going towards the opening of the college football season. King College football is back, and this may be the strangest, wildest college football season we've had. That'll be a topic on the table through this entire Thursday podcast. How are you? I'm doing good, you know, and it's great. It's college football season, but yeah, the the whole market is volatile. There's so many changes going on, but we're going to do a deep dive, talk about some of the big teams in the country. Yeah. Our podcasts, our Thursday podcast, the Monday bonus podcast, brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Store. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. And John, before we launch into topic one, and we're going to go a lot of different directions around the country, a lot of different storylines, just want you to remind everybody about what happens at the end of this show, (laughs) our fans forum, and how we want college fans to jump and get involved. Okay, so yeah, it's your chance to get involved in the podcast in the Fans Forum segment. Just type your question or comment for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved. And a reminder, want you to subscribe. We put a ton of stuff virtually every day of the week on our YouTube channel. So if you subscribe, you'll get notification when there's something new and unique. And there's a lot of new and unique stuff <laughs> that shows up on our YouTube channel. So subscribe. And we want you to share. want you to email, text, Tell all your friends about all the things that we're doing with our podcast. And by the way, that address right across the top of the screen, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. That's my website. It's all written. If you like all the stuff we did on Sports Talk Radio, I guarantee you won't find this anywhere else. You'll get the best 15 minutes in sports. You'll get Hacksaw's headlines, my one man's opinion column. You get the chance to take part in the Hacksaw mini polls. So check the website either late at night or the first thing in the morning because there's tons of new information. Are you ready? (laughs) Are you ready? (laughs) Okay, here we go. Let's get started, Lee. College football, great slug line there. This 2023 season, I think, John, marks the end of the era of college football as we've come to know it. Uh, We're talking about the breakup of the Pac-12. We're talking about the divorce of USC and UCLA. We're talking about the fallout that led Oregon and Washington and Arizona State and Arizona and Utah to defect to the Big 12. We're talking about Oklahoma and Texas. Last time they'll stand up and look at the stadium and say, see ya, because they're going to the Southeastern Conference, taking their talent, their money, and their ego to a new conference, which obviously changes the complexities of the Big 12. You know, the most saddest thing to me about what we're going to start to experience effective on Saturday with the first full weekend on the schedule, college football, John, was built on rivalries. And they're saying goodbye to all those rivalries. Do you know that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State have met 117 times? Mm -hmm. This will be the final year the Sooners and the Cowboys are going to play football. Bedlam. Baylor, 
Texas have been meeting since 1915. There won't be any more Longhorns Bears games. Civil War, we talked about Oregon, Oregon State that goes back to the 1920s. That series is probably going to evaporate. Same thing in the Apple Cup, Washington, Washington State. Now, I grant you, USC, UCLA are going to play each other every year as they've continued, sometimes in the Rose Bowl, sometimes it'll be the LA Coliseum, but they don't think that that game is going to be played at the end of the season when historically it had so many implications. Mm -hmm. That rivalry is going to have a different look. And by the way, you're a big-time college football junkie. Yeah. Do you think if you're an Oregon Duck fan, you're going to get excited about your new rival, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights? (laughs) Uh, You're an Arizona Wildcat fan? Do you think you like to go to Morgantown to play the West Virginia Mountaineers? (laughs) I mean— These are really strange geographical rivals that make no sense at all. And then, of course, obviously, you got the fact that USC is going to travel 21,000 miles for football in 12 weeks this season. UCLA has got the same travel schedule, different opponents, etc. And lost in all the conversation, the meetings just began today in Dallas. College Football Playoff Committee is now re-evaluating the 12-team playoff and how it should be structured. Because when this thing kicks in next year, all likelihood there will be no Pac-12 conference. So now the question, does the committee up there on the Hill make a decision, five conference champions from the Power Fives that are left, seven at-large teams gets added. And where are those seven going to come from? Major conferences? Are we going to still consider the Mountain West Conference, the AAC, or some of these other subliminal conferences? So it looks like the makeup of the 12-team playoff, and they're discussing it today and Friday. I don't know that they're going to vote on it, but they're looking at different ideas and a different structure. So I think the college football playoffs are going to have a, a kind of a different thing. So... Like I said, John, end of an era, at least my perspective. Yours? I'm concerned because I know that when they restructure the the playoff system, my hunch is is that the group of five schools are going to get further pushed to the side. It's going to be a bigger difference between the haves and haves nots. I mean, we see that even in the March Madness tournament where, you know, they'll pick a eighth place Big Ten team rather than a second place Mountain West team. But going back to all those natural rivalries. Wouldn't you think they would still want to maintain those, but maybe schedule them as non-conference games in the early part of the season? But there is such bitterness in Oregon and Washington about what has transpired. And those games, historically, John, were the last games of the season. You played it in rain. You played it in snow. You played it in mud. You played it when one team was unbeaten and the other guy was winless. You had upsets upon upsets, Apple Cups, Civil War. It's just going to have a very different feel. And Oregon State and Washington State are so incensed at what Oregon and Washington did to the conference, Mm -hmm. not just their rivalry between Pullman and Seattle, Corvallis and Eugene, they may not want to play these guys anymore. And and there is some conversation. It's, it's a little bit off track that Oregon State and Washington State 
just may merge and ask the, the conference, or what, what, where they wind up, merge and have Oregon State play Washington State yearly, regardless of where they wind up in a conference. And if the game's in Seattle, it would be called the Apple Cup. And if the game is in Corvallis, it'd be called the Civil War. Hmm. So the last two standing in the Northwest may link up and just turn their back on the Oregon Ducks and the Washington Huskies. Uh, that'd be that'd be sad. It'd be terrible. It's but this is the end result of the greed that existed. Show me the money. Yeah. Show me the money. <laughs> I mean, that's what this is all about, right? Everyone's chasing a dollar. Um, but yeah, it is It is discouraging. I mean, because the regional aspect of college sports is breaking down. But, you know, you might be able to say you can rationalize it for football, but it's really hard to rationalize for all the other sports. Um, so, I don't know. It's just it's just a, it's a different you say it's an end of an era. We're going into a different phase of how they're going to structure this. And I, I believe that those power conferences are going to amass even greater power and keep the little guys or the medium sized guys out. If you're a college football fan, we'll invite you to join us, Fans Forum. That's one of the questions we're asking. Do you agree with me that starting Saturday, this final year, the way the conferences have been structured won't be the way they're structured going forward? Do you think, join us on Fans Forum, is at the end of an era in college football? Okay, from there, we're going to go conference by conference because we got storylines everywhere. Yeah, Pac-12 or the Pac-2 or what is this? Uh, let's break it down. There are some really interesting quarterbacks. Well, this is the Pac-12's final go-round. The conference that was built in 1915 started in the Pacific Northwest, moved down the coast, etc. I think it's the year of the quarterbacks. This is a phenomenal year of guys who have arrived on Pac-12 campuses and are going to play really well. USC's got the Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams. The kid is dynamic. Probably going to be the first pick in the draft if he elects to come out. I think he will. Uh, he's got an unbelievably gifted big freshman, Zach Branch, who's his primary target, who had 232 all-purpose yards last weekend. They are strong and deep at running back. They dove into the transfer portal again. Trojans are good, except on defense. I cannot <laughs> understand how Alex Grinch can continue to be the defensive coordinator on Lincoln Riley's team when you consider how horrible they were last year and how bad they've been when they were together at Oklahoma and even prior to that when Grinch was at Washington State. So they got the great quarterback. I don't think they have a great defense. I still think USC wins. UCLA, Chip Kelly, great history of developing, molding, and delivering quarterbacks. Life after Dorian Thompson Robinson begins. He was a five-year starter for UCLA. Five, wow. He grew into the position, dynamic last year. The kid is the backup quarterback to the Cleveland Browns now. Nice. He walked into camp and did well. But there is no DTR at quarterback. There is no power running back in Zach Charbonnet, 1,100 yards last season. He's gone. A little bit fascinating because they recruited maybe the, the quarterback of the year on the West Coast, Dante Moore. I thought he was going to get the job, but he's really raw. Uh, but they're going to go with a, a, a journeyman quarterback, at least to start. Though Chip Kelly has said Dante Moore, and there's a quarterback that transferred in from Kent State. They're going to rotate with Garbers, who will be the first game starter against Coastal Carolina. You know, Chip, Chip had really bad years. At one point, I think he was 13 and 25, and people were calling for his head, mm -hmm. <laughs> you. myself included. 
Uh, and they went 17 and 8 the last two years because of DTR. So we'll see how fast Kelly can get Dante Moore up and running because everybody I've spoken to around the conference thinks this this kid is is the next great one coming down the turnpike. Great one. Pacific Northwest, he does everything. Bo Nix turned down the chance to go to the NFL to come back and play for the Ducks again. He makes everything happen. Runs, throws, leads. Uh, he's not going to throw for 3,800 yards, but I'll tell you what, he's so efficient at getting the ball down the field and moving the pocket and running. Bo Nix is a really good player. He's going to compete for the Heisman Trophy, too. He's at Oregon. Uh, the, the, the dark horse is going to be Michael Penix at Washington. Now, he's a transfer from Indiana. He walked in there last year, first year, with Kalen DeBoer as the new coach. And Michael Penix threw for 357 yards a game. Mm-hmm. And they just threw the hell out of the ball at Husky Stadium. Uh, he's back as a second-year starter, his final year at Washington, left-handed thrower. Really dynamic, dynamic kid. Other quarterbacks, Utah, although he's a little bit banged up. Cam Rising suffered a knee injury in the bowl game last year and seemed to have trouble during camp. I don't think he's going to play the first, maybe not even the second week for the Utes. But if healthy, he just wins. That's all he does. He doesn't impose on you physically. He's not six foot six with a gun, but he makes things happen. Cam Rising, Utah. Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith has done a really good job flipping the Beavers and making them competitive. A lot of people think that they could win 10 games this season. Now, they went into the transfer portal, and this was a little bit different. They went and got a Clemson quarterback who opted out. Nobody leaves Clemson except this kid didn't play well for two and a half years. And uh, DJ Uya Galele is the starting quarterback for one season at Oregon State. But under the tutelage of Jonathan Smith, who I think is a pretty impressive head coach, former Beaver quarterback, self-made guy, I think DJ is going is to keep Oregon State in a lot of games run and throw. Uh, lost in the conversation, this guy had a great statistical year last year, uh, Jaden Delora. He had transferred from Washington State to Arizona. He played really well as Arizona was trying to pick up the pieces of a program that had really been shattered. So he's back as a starter, second year in the rebuild there for Jed Frisch's team. I don't know what to make of Arizona State. Uh, Kenny Dillingham, he's got transfers upon transfers are coming off a miserable 3-9 and nine season, the firing of Herman Edwards. And then at Colorado, this is their farewell after 11 years in this conference, Dion's kid, Shador Sanders, starts. Uh, it's an absolutely stunning story. Colorado's got 86 new players on the <laughs> roster. 86. There's only 10 scholarship players that are left that were there last year in wow. Boulder. They got 53 transfers through the portal of the 86 new kids. And Dion Sanders' son, Shador, who had a really great couple of years at Jackson State, is the starter as Colorado opens, and they're going to play at TCU in Fort Worth first game of the season. So, like I say, this looks to me to be the year of the quarterback in the Pac-12. Your thoughts? Yeah, this is going to be great. I mean, first of all, it's the last year of the Pac-12. It's kind of emotional, but you're right. There are a lot of really talented teams here. I mean, I saw uh, Michael Penix play when he was at Indiana, and he was incredible. I mean, he was so dynamic. He could run, he could throw, but he always got hurt, you know, so... I'm wondering if he's going to be, you know, be able to keep it together. But 
Look at a Colorado. That's that's what we want to see is is Coach Prime. I mean, I'm all in on Coach Prime. I'm hopeful that they're going to exceed expectations because that could be a just a really that could be that could change the, the way, way we perceive college football if Coach Prime is on the stage. Um, but I go back to USC. Do you think Caleb Williams and the Trojans could compete for a national championship? If their defense holds up, but I see nothing that allows me to believe in what Alex Grinch is running from a player personnel standpoint. They gave up 396 yards, 396 to San Jose State last weekend. (laughs) What's going to happen when they start lining up against Michael Penix and Oregon State's quarterback and the dynamics of what UCLA does and what's around that conference? Bo Nix and the boys. I, I, that's the only thing that I think is is going to betray them in terms of being a twelve and O team. Now that they they make the playoffs, I maybe on offense they can win the Pac twelve. Although Oregon's going to have a lot to say about that. But can they get to the championship game with this kind of defense? That that to me is a huge question, and everybody thought that there had to be a change after last year's end-of-season setback and and all the stats they gave up all year long. Caleb Williams kept bailing them out. No change was made. Well, do you think now that they're blowing up the Pac-12 and UCLA and USC are going to the Big Ten, do you foresee the, the USC-Notre Dame game continuing into the future? Because that's been a, a, a marquee game at the end of the year for a long time. Yeah, I think th- there are some historic rivalries that they will try to hold on. I just wonder if anybody that's left is going to want to schedule USC. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to have, obviously, USC is going to have the Big Ten Conference, but there are non-conference games. But if Oregon State, Washington State... They don't want anything to do with the Ducks or the Huskies. Why would mm-hmm. they want anything to do with the Bruins or the Trojans? Unless you're going to bring them in, it'd be a hate game. But <laughs> you're not You're not going to be bringing them in all the time. You'd have to go there and play. And I that that's very interesting to see what the future, quote, non-conference schedules mm-hmm. for the Trojans and, and the Bruins are going to be. Okay, let's go from the Pac-12 to the conference that's closer to home here. Okay, the Conference of Non-Champions, the uh, Mountain West. (laughs) Mountain West, this is going to be a very, very different year. Not because they're losing teams. Everybody's holding their breath to see if anybody else is going to arrive. Uh, I think there are a couple people here that have to have bounce-back seasons. Let's start with Boise State. They're not what they were just a couple of years ago. They're obviously not what they were when Dan Hawkins first elevated uh, the Broncos to real stardom. But Boise State has gone through a bit of a dip and now has rebuilt. They bring back a vibrant six foot six quarterback in Talon Green that they had to play last year because of injuries. They bring back third year starter George Holani, tough guy running back. They bring back a ton of studs on defense. They were just picked to be the team to win, uh, to beat in the Mountain West Conference. So. Boise State looks like it has bounced back, and Talon Green is a really talented young player. San Diego State. Brady Hoke has built his reputation as a college coach on building defensive lines and offensive lines. I sure hope he has some of those cards in his pocket because he really needs those segments of that roster to grow back and be what they used to be at SDSU if they're going to be good. 
Jalen Maiden. I'm confident that he linked with the new coordinator, Ryan Lindley. They're going to make a bunch of dynamic things happen. You know, they scuffled and struggled early against Ohio last weekend. Then they got it kicked in gear. And what we saw from the second half on, that looks like the potential of what the Lindley playbook and Jalen Maiden making the passes is going to look like. I think San Diego State is, is going to grow through this. And by the way, they get Boise State here. Nice. What a huge game that's going to be. Nobody can identify and nobody can talk with the Air Force except Troy Calhoun. What a rebuild job he has done there. That is such a different culture in Colorado Springs. He's looking for a new quarterback because Hasik Daniels has left after two very good years of running the wishbone and the option. they got a load of running backs. He's got eight starters back on defense. Air Force just makes it hard for you to play your game because you have to defend their game. Mm. And their game, the option, is really tough. Unique in Fresno. Uh, life after Jake Hayner, the quarterback. Life after their 1,100-yard running back, Jordan Mims. Both have gone to the NFL. Uh, Going to be intrigued to see what they put on the field. However, when Hayner was hurt last year for about a third of the season, Jeff uh, Tedford, the coach, put this young pup in there, Logan Fife, and he got progressively better and better as making plays down the field. He's back as as now the legitimate starter at Fresno State. Speaking of jobs well done, nobody knows this guy. You think about what San Jose State used to be. I mean, really downtrodden. Brent Brennan has done a phenomenal job, and he's he's kind of done it through the transfer portal. San Jose State plays really hard, mm-hmm. as witnessed by how hard they hung in there and slugged with USC and what they did last season. He's got a fourth-year starting quarterback, a transfer from Hawaii, Chev Cordero, who throws it, moves the pocket, runs it. Guy kind of does everything. I uh, got a really good running back in Kyrie Robinson. So San Jose may not be, from a talent standpoint, equal to Boise. May not have, quote, the athletes that San Diego State has. But what Brent Brennan has done last two years is pretty impressive. I keep waiting to see if things are going to flip in Fort Collins. Colorado State's Jay Norville is a guy who has built programs. It took him a year or two. Last year was his first year at CSU. They weren't very good. He did the same thing at Nevada. They weren't real good real early, and all of a sudden they got quarterbacks that throw the football. Can Colorado State take the step forward? He's got the son of former NFL quarterback, former Washington Husky Hugh Millen. Hmm. His son is there, Clay Millen. He played a lot. Last season, he took a beating. They didn't have a really great season, but he put up some pretty good numbers. They got to fix the offensive line, though, in front of him at Colorado State. I don't know what to make of UNLV. You know, they've gone through coach after coach after coach, and they hired from all different places, and they tried the transfer portal. They tried to with high school kids. Nothing seemed to work. New coach. This guy brings credentials. Barry Odom, former head coach, Missouri, former head coach, Arkansas. So we'll see if he, because of his track record reputation and the transfer portal, he can bring a volume of kids in 
to play at Vegas and have some success at Vegas. But to me, Las Vegas is such a weird town to have a college football program in. And I don't know what the linkage is, town, gown. I don't know. But he does have Doug Brumfield back uh, as the quarterback. He played really well first half of the season, then got hurt, came back at the end of the season and and did some things. So Barry Odom's got he's got quite a reputation. So we'll see what happens there. Utah State, Nevada, uh, New Mexico, Hawaii, uh, talent efficiency problems virtually everywhere. Uh, Wyoming's got a really good coach in Craig Bowl. They don't get the superstar athlete, but they do two things. They run the damn ball, and they play really hard defense. And they play a Laramie, hmm. 7,000 feet. <laughs> I've done games in Laramie. Laramie's tough in September, October. Laramie's tougher November when it's snowing and really cold. It gets cold there faster than any place on the earth, I know. Um Wyoming will, will probably upset some people along the way, but they just they like like um, the U tags at Logan, Utah, and the Wolfpack and Nevada Reno, and what's going on in Albuquerque and the Rainbow Warriors. Just they don't have manpower to the kind of numbers you need. So that's a look at the Mountain West Conference bounce back season. Boise State, I think they will. Can San Diego State bounce back? Your response? Uh, this is going to be an interesting year. I mean, obviously, I'm a San Diego guy, so I'm rooting for the Aztecs. In fact, I'm going to the game on Saturday, my first time at Snapdragon. But, you know, it's interesting what Brady Hoke's doing here because, like you said, you're you're not sure about these lines, these offensive and defensive lines, and if they're going to be able to keep it together. Jalen Maiden, Maiden, you know, he shows you something. You know, he kind of pulls a rabbit out of his hat every once in a while. So they're going to be a fun team to follow. Um, Air Force is a team I wanted to explore with you more deeply because it's interesting to me, the Air Force, they have a unique football offense with the wishbone and they have that unique offense with their basketball team too and i've often wondered if they've created that strategy as a way to overcome the fact that they can't recruit really big guys because they can't fit into fighter jets i mean what's your thoughts on that well i i think that's a piece of the equation uh and and obviously football at the academies whether that is in colorado springs at West Point or at Annapolis, they all run some offshoot of the veer or the wishbone or the option because they can't stand in the trenches and slug. Mm. And when you have only a week or four days to prepare for what they're doing, it's really hard. And then if you have to go play at Colorado Springs, thin air and all that, and you're on the field the whole afternoon because you can't get off the field because you can't stop what they're running, that's a bad combination to be the other guy, the opponent, coming in. Troy Calhoun's done a really good job. Uh, John, they are very unique people. I don't know if you've ever been to a game at Martin Stadium. No. It is It is such a cool place. The academies, the salute. Brady Hoke and Rocky Long started something. After the Aztecs games at Air Force, all the Air Force players go to the corner of the stadium and they salute all the cadets. Mm-hmm. San Diego State's players go to the end of the stadium with them, and they sing the alma mater. I mean, it's really, really a classy thing. So, yeah, as long as as Troy Calhoun can keep his quarterback on the field and not get him hurt, but they run, have like eight different running backs. Every time you look up, there's somebody else running off the wishbone, (laughs) and they just put up staggering run numbers. And if occasionally, like with Daniels last year, they get a quarterback that can also throw it down the field, Holy cow, then they're really, really dangerous. So 
it's just a fascinating place to visit. And I love walking around that that post. I think that's what they call it uh, to see them. So uh, Mountain West. Okay. College football fans, before we get to halftime, <laughs> college football fans, if you're a Pac-12 fan, is this going to be a different feel for you? You agree with what's happened to everybody in the Pac-12, or you really steamed at what USC or UCLA did, or did Oregon and Washington cause the death of this conference? Jump on Fans Forum on chat and send us a question, make a statement, we'll respond to it. And if you're a Mountain West fan, I guess I should ask this question because, my goodness, have we gotten responses uh, on Instagram. Why don't fans in this community put its arms around San Diego State's program, considering that Rocky Long and Brady Hoke between them have a combined record of like 161 and 63. Really? Really? It's absolutely phenomenal what those guys have done over the better part of a decade. So, hey, you like college football? You're a Pac-10, Pac-12 fan, Mountain West fan? Join us on Fans Forum. We'll answer your questions right at the end. Okay, we get to halftime. Let me talk to you for just a minute about Dixie Line. Get summer project savings at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center stores. Power tools, paint, doors, windows, decking, outdoor lighting, patio furniture, and more for your fall projects. By the way, check out the great monthly ad promotions at DixieLine.com. Fix it, build it, you will enjoy it. Nine locations to serve you at Dixie Line. And our Thursday podcast continues. John, before we jump back into the second half and talk about what's going on around the nation in college football this first full weekend, just remind everybody who might be joining us on live stream about our fans forum, how it works, and also how people can subscribe so they'll get the alerts, the bells, the whistles, the gongs, (laughs) the minute we post something on our YouTube channel because we do that almost seven days a week now. Yeah, definitely seven days a week. Hey, if you want to get involved in fans forum, you know, type your question, your comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We already got a bunch of guys already involved here, so you can participate. You can co-host here with Hacksaw. Uh, be sure also, you know, we got a nice live stream audience, so you can always give us a thumbs up, a, 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 a um, the heart, whatever it is. That helps kind of get the podcast more um, views in, in social media. It's good for the algorithm. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the audio-only podcast platforms, and you subscribe on YouTube, click on that bell, and then you will get those updates every every day and because we don't have any friends give us a five-star rating that will help our podcast a great deal and by the way you like sports i know you like sports check my website leehacksawhamilton.com it's all written i write on it every day you know, a lot of different information guarantee you won't find this anywhere else regardless of what your favorite sport is we move to the second half here <laughs> John, let's talk about what's going on around the nation. Yeah, these are the big-time teams. I'm, we're looking forward to breaking this one down. Okay, we're talking about the top teams in the nation, and I asked this question, are the polls correct? These are the top teams that are ranked for a wide variety of reasons. A chunk of it's got to do with their heritage. Georgia, number one again. But my burning question, can Georgia be the same team without its do-everything quarterback Stetson Bennett and the fact that seven guys from the dog defense are in the NFL right now. It's a team that's had injury problems. It's a team that's going to have a new quarterback. It's a team that's got to replace a lot of people on the defensive side of the football. 
So the burning question, is Georgia really the number one team in the country, and will they be as dominant as they were under Stetson Bennett? Alabama, we know their history, we know their heritage, but there is no Bryce Young at quarterback now after a couple of really glorious years. Is that a problem? Well, Nick Saban doesn't think it's a problem because they always develop players. And he's got a new quarterback. Somehow, some way, he got him from Notre Dame, the San Diego kid, Tyler Buckner. So he is the starting quarterback uh, for the Crimson Tide. They also have to replace a couple of their running backs along the way. And they've had an inordinate number of offensive line injuries in the last couple of years. I guess the burning question, is Alabama now what Alabama used to be? Because it sure doesn't seem that way, kind of because of the guy at Georgia, Kirby Smart. Ohio State, there is no C.J. Stroud, but there are running backs. And they got a great wide receiver in Marvin Harrison Jr. He might be a Heisman Trophy candidate at wideout. Burning question, Ryan Day's catching a lot of heat in Columbus because of what happened the last two Saturdays, the last two years in November, when they got punched in the mouth by Michigan. There's a lot of heat on Ryan Day about quarterbacks, play calling, etc., But the Buckeyes just have a plethora of talent. But the real stockpile of talent is in Ann Arbor. Whether you like or dislike Jim Harbaugh, like or dislike what goes on at Ann Arbor Stadium, like or dislike the maize and blue, let's be honest. This is probably the most talented team in the country. I was a little surprised they were not elevated, maybe to be number one. Quarterback J.J. McCarthy is back. Big-time running back Blake Corum, who missed the tail end of last year, knee surgery. He's back. Donovan Edwards, a running back to replace McCorm, and went crazy at the end of the season against Ohio State. He's back. Top two wide receivers are back. Truckload of offensive linemen are back. And by the way, they do play defense in Ann Arbor. I think Michigan, Michigan might well wind up to be the number one team in the country. This is an intriguing one. You look at the Texas Longhorn logo there. Steve Sarkeesian has got a real different approach to this year. Final year, Big 12, a lot of angst. He says, embrace the hate. (laughs) Sarkeesian's got a young quarterback in Quinn Ewers. He does not have the star running back, B. John Robinson, who's gone to the National Football League. Got a really good defense. Ton of people because it's Texas and they can recruit. Sarkeesian says, bring it on, all the hate in the Big 12 Conference, because this is their farewell tour. And the the other team is Clemson. And I don't have an understanding what's happened there in the Deep South. Clemson's not what Clemson used to be. I mean, Clemson was dominant. Dabo Swinney and all things Tiger football in the orange uniforms. They've never replaced Deshaun Watson at quarterback who went to the NFL. They've really scuffled and struggled. Is it just a quarterback situation? Or is it a manpower situation? The losing players, not other people? Is it the growth of Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs? Clemson, which used to be at the forefront of the conversation, John, is not. So those are the marquee names in college football in terms of the rankings. I think Michigan's the number one team in the country, and some of these other teams have answers that they have to deliver us starting Saturday, most notably a quarterback. 
Well, Michigan's going to be dealing with that suspension of Harbaugh to start the year, right? Yeah, but that's three non-conference games. You do think they can beat East Carolina without Harbaugh, right? Okay. <laughs> well, they lost to Appalachian State a million years ago. That was ago. a million years ago. <laughs> but, you know, obviously these teams are all loaded. These teams are, are marquee programs that big recruits want to go to. But don't you ever just get tired of the same teams? It's always Ohio State and Alabama, at least in the college March Madness, you know, it's always a, there's a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of, you know, upsets and, but it just seems like we're always talking about the same programs. Well, I was, I was tired of Alabama despite the greatness and extent. I was just tired of Alabama, Georgia, and then Georgia replaced Alabama. And that's the conversation. You know, everybody says, well, we'll just expand the playoffs. Well, the downside danger to that is, you know, a year from now, they're going to go to 12. What happened in the championship game in January? This past season, what was the final score of that game? I mean, everybody was excited about TCU. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. okay, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, T- Texas Christian, Horn Frogs wearing purple. That was a thumping, fifty to seven. Yeah. So that's that's the problem that you have the haves, all those right there, and you have a lot of have nots, wannabes. Mm-hmm. And if they ever had a good season and got there, would it turn out to be fifty to seven? So. I'd, it's a burning question, but I, I kind of agree with you. At oh, Alabama again, and now it's oh, Georgia again. Right. Um, but the top teams are the top teams. As as cool as the idea of of a twelve team playoff is, I think there's a lot of blowouts coming when we get to who's going to match up against Georgia, who's going to play Michigan. You know, the big boys against everybody else. And I don't think everybody else that's in a 12-team playoff has any chance. It's very different than March Madness where you can have Coastal Carolina or George Mason University step up mm-hmm. and have a unique team because it's only a five-man team and they can shoot threes and threes of the great equalizers in college basketball and all that. And It's not that way in college football because that's, that's 22 guys across – both sides of the football. Do you think you got 22 guys in Moorhead State that can stand up to these guys? <laughs> Moorhead State. Well, I, um, you know, I like the idea of expanding the playoffs because, you know, it always seemed like the system was rigged for these guys, you know, that they, you, you only pick the top four. Remember, it used to be the top two that mm-hmm. was all only in it. So I like that they're opening up. Are we going to have some blowouts? Sure. But, you know, we might have some surprises, and I think that's okay. I'm disappointed there are no West Coast teams in that big boy list. You know, and I maybe that's because the Pac-12 is blowing up. I, I don't know, but I, I kind of like it when it's a little bit East Coast West Coast balance. Well, I think USC will they they go into preseason or the first game of the year ranked sixth in the country, so they're right on the periphery. But sure. they have to prove themselves defensively. I, I don't know why there's not more huh, about the Oregon Ducks because Bo Nix is a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he was a SEC guy who left and went to Oregon. Uh, so we got at least two out here that, as the season goes on, will have a chance maybe to be part of it. So I guess this question, this segment, to anybody that's with us on live stream on Fans Forum, jump on board. Do you think the 12-team playoff is going to be good, that idea, or do you think it's going to be 50-7 to 7, and this might not be real good for college football as everybody projects it to be? Okay, John, let's go to names in the news. Names in the news. Okay, I've already kind of got a glimpse of this list, and there's some good topics on the table. Okay, names in the news. These are other storylines I want you to pay attention to. Just outside the periphery of the top teams comes LSU and Brian Kelly, former Notre Dame coach. 
former Cincinnati coach, former Central Michigan coach. He's done a really good job everywhere he's been. Good season last year. But he's not equal to Georgia nor Bama yet. I'm just wondering if Brian Kelly can take the actual step forward in Baton Rouge and make LSU a really true national power, or will they just be a really good top 10 team? Keep an eye on that. Can he recruit to the equal number that Saban does in Tuscaloosa and Kirby Smart does in Athens, Georgia? Notre Dame, uh, Marcus Ferguson, second year in, he, of course, replaced Brian Kelly in South Bend. Ferguson, of course, had been part of the Irish coaching staff, uh, he's gone through a bit of a, a bit of a bump in the road here. He lost both his quarterbacks. Ty Buckner defected, went to Alabama, and Drew Pine left after he lost the job to Buckner. He wound up at Arizona State. He's had some injury problems. Notre Dame likes to view itself. They puff their chest out. <laughs> national power. Well, yeah. they haven't really been a national power in a long time. So how good is Marcus Ferguson? North Carolina can one man make a difference. Now, granted, the Atlantic Coast Conference is not equal to the Big Ten nor the SEC, and now maybe not even the Pac-12. But Drake May is like a hired gun quarterback at oh, North yeah. Carolina, and he turned down the chance to go to the NFL. He wanted to come back and play. Yeah, he was good. Just like Bo Nix did up mm-hmm. in Oregon. So can Drake May be a one-man show for Carolina? Penn State, they've done a good job. They're not the national power they were in the era of the Paternos. Uh, they got to replace their quarterback. Sean Clifford was a four-year starter at Penn State, and he wasn't real good when he started. By the time he was done, he rewrote the record book. He's in the NFL. So Sean Clifford is no longer the starting quarterback. Nittany Lions, can they find a thrower to go with all the runners? They have such a heritage there. Texas Christian, Max Dugan, gone. Tight end, gone. Top two receivers, gone. Bunch of them in the NFL. Was Texas Christian a one-hit wonder? Or because they made a statement in the last couple of years and built this thing, are they starting to get a lot of quality recruits there? And then there's the Colorado story. Hmm. They play TCU in the opener. Coach Prime, they love him in Boulder, but I'll tell you what, around the country, he is getting skewered by coaches by administrators, and by a national media. Now, he doesn't care. His whole philosophy this week was, I told them the truth, talking about the players who left. 76 of them left. I told them the truth. The transfer portal was there. I used it. He's got 86 new players, 53 transfers. He got 22 transfers in after they completed spring football, And they ran more players out. Um, Awful lot of questions about his insensitivity towards the players that he inherited. The exit meetings, I was told, were very impersonal. They were almost to the bitterline point of being crude, what the coaches told the players. They had their star wide receiver who led the team in receptions and suffered a significant knee injury right at the end of the year. He did all the rehab. Spent the entire offseason in rehab, went to spring ball and did rehab. And after spring ball, they told him, you're not welcome here. You can't play here. We don't think you can compete here. This is the star receiver who did all the rehab under their doctors. But primetime's response, 
I told the players the truth. Mm-hmm. They couldn't compete. You were 1-11. and 11. So that's the atmosphere. They love them in Boulder. A lot of people don't like Neon Dion. And now the burning question, will they be any better than 1-11, and 11, even though he recruited all these kids and he took his son and everybody from Jackson State? It's going to be a fascinating story to see. But he's borderline brilliant or borderline belligerent. So go ahead and tell me. <laughs> you know, well, they, they're all hating on Dion because they want Colorado to be a cupcake, you know, on their schedule like they've been for the last 10 or 20 years. So, yeah, I mean, the team lost one, won one game last year. So the, clearly those players are not at the level of competitiveness and they brought Dion in to win. So go Dion, you know, go Coach Prime, <laughs> man. Let's turn this program around. And yeah, he was radical, but it, he's been a radical his whole life. So this just fits the persona. So, this, you know, of course, I'm following San Diego State closely, but this is the second team I'm going to closely follow is Colorado. Um, but yeah, look at this, some of these other names on the board. You know, TCU had that fun you know, run last year, but they've had some really good seasons in the past as well. So I think they're, they're, they're going to be built to stay. Um, so who else on that list? The Nittany Lions were, um, you know, that's a program that to me feels like a time warp to another era. Exactly. You know, it, it, they, they're a good they're a good program still. And they, you know, they, they compete. But, but, you know, you look at all those other, you know, Notre Dame, et cetera. I want to ask you, though, Hacksaw, as a broadcaster, you've been in this business forever or even as a fan. What is the college football stadium experience that you've enjoyed the most? I went to Penn State. I did an Ohio U-Penn State game. We were grossly overmatched. And I had a chance to interview Paterno. I was just, I was blown away. Um, That was an experience, 106,000 fans at Beaver Stadium. That was one of the really marvelous things. Uh, When I did USC football for three years, we played Penn State at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And Paterno was the head coach. And that's when the program was just starting to get away from him. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, I've sat in the press boxes for those games, and that's that's really special. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's bleeping history. <laughs> but when I I did USC UCLA, and I'd never actually experienced that game in the stadium on press row and broadcast, that's pretty electric too. So, yeah, some of this, this stadium experiences are really really kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just think it's terrific. That's why I'm excited to go. I mean, granted, I'm going to Snapdragon on Saturday to see San Diego State, Idaho State, which is not Michigan, Ohio State. But, you know, I, what I've done in the past also is I've traveled on the road and, and gone to see San Diego State basketball elsewhere. Maybe I need to go to Vegas and go see them in Allegiant Stadium against UNLV. That might be a kind of a fun road trip. Except there's so many empty seats there because nobody in Las Vegas pays any attention to the running Rebels. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a deficient thing. I wish, I wish San Diego's fans would embrace the Aztec program. That's a neat stadium. It could be a loud stadium. It could really be a fun home field advantage if we didn't have 16,000 empty seats because San Diego fan is off doing something else on Saturday. So team gets good. They got UCLA a week from now. And then beyond that... They got Boise in here. They got Fresno in here. They got Nevada in here. They got a, they're going to play a role as to if they can win it or something. They're going to play a role as to who eventually winds up winning. That Boise State-San Diego State game's going to be a doozy if the Aztecs are what I think the Aztecs could be because I know what I think 
Boise is right now. Okay, it's time for Fans Forum. You got questions, we got answers. You think we got a few people lined up, want to talk college football. John, how do they, first of all, join us on Fans Forum? Because they're going to try to buzz through as many questions as possible. Yeah, so we, we'll still take your questions and comments. Just drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. Got a bunch of guys here, George and Jeff and Greg and Beto and TR and I mean, uh, and John is in the list. There's two Johns on the list. So uh, we'll get you all involved so you can still jump in if you got a question or comment. Okay, let's get started. You're talking college football. We're going to give you answers about college football far away. Okay, this is from Greg and he says, Lee, what is your gut feeling about where Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State land? This is all a money deal on the Atlantic Coast Conference. Has a different deal now uh, via ESPN that would give them an additional $55 million of TV revenue if they brought in Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Stanford and Cal would take a discount from the normal TV rights if they join the ACC. SMU is not going to share any money for the first five years. They would take the $55 million extra and, and spread it to the other ACC teams based on if you got to a bowl game, if you got to a national championship game, you get some bonus money. That's where it is right now. I think it makes no sense at all to have Stanford go play Wake Forest or Cal play NC State. It's, it's, It's just a really bad fit. Closer to home, if Cal and Stanford vacate... Oregon State, Washington State would be a great addition to the Mountain West. It'd make this a really good college football conference because we got good schools here already, and now you're adding the Beavers, you're adding Washington State. But that being said, that means that Oregon State, Washington State emotionally have to accept the fact they're stepping down from the pack to the Mountain West, they're going to take a significant decrease in TV money. And can they do that? Because they've got 18 other college programs they still have to fund, and they won't be getting anywhere near the TV contract. Uh, Greg, it's a great question. It's a sad question to have to discuss. If, if Cal and Stanford could stay linked to Oregon State and Washington State, and if they could convince four of the Mountain West teams to buy their way out and then join them, then you'd have some form of a Pac-8 or a Pac-10. But I don't I don't ever think we'll see a conference on the West Coast like we had since 1915 that was ruined. Well, yeah, it's weird thinking of Stanford and Cal playing in the ACC. That's bizarre. But it seems to me that, um, you know, these four remaining schools, they have one thing that a lot of other people don't have, and they're a, a Power Five conference. So you would think that they would have the opportunity to build, rebuild the Pac-12. With who, though? Where are you going to get them? But even if you went and cherry-picked some of the best of the best of the group of five, you know, wherever they are across America, you got something. You know, and at least that way they don't need to kind of go to the ACC with their tail between their legs. They could be in a position of strength. I'd like to see that, but I don't think that's going to happen because I think Cal and Stanford just need to be linked somewhere to get the TV money because they need that money for their athletic programs, which is terrible then to the people in Pullman, Washington and in Corvallis, Oregon. Okay, we carry on. Next question. Okay, next question. This is from TR, and he says, your Bobcats had a rough day versus the Aztecs. Um, at Snapdragon last sept, uh, last Saturday. Well, I told Brady Ho because he came up to me first thing at the press conference. We're standing off to the side, and he said, "What'd you think?" I said, "Hey, you got 
the quarterback Curtis Rourke before Curtis Rourke got you. <laughs> Curtis yeah. Rourke was going to throw for 400 yards against San Diego State. I mean, he almost had 100 before he got hurt. And I felt bad because I thought I thought the kid got hit on a late hit with a helmet. That's football. They didn't call it, and he's out. Um, and he was 8 for 10 with two drops. Almost had 100 yards in the first quarter alone. But... Bobcats, they got a whole season to play ahead of them. They, if Rourke comes back with no after effects, whether it's concussion or a leg, uh, then I think Ohio's going to be good. I think San Diego State took a massive step forward in the second half of that game, and now they can build on this against that. That'll be a walkover against Idaho State. So that'll give them two full weeks to get everything in place because then they're going to play real people starting with UCLA, and they got Boise coming in soon after that. So... As Aztecs go two and zero, and then we'll play UCLA and see where they are, and see their kid quarterback against the Aztec defense, which just has to continue to ratchet it up and get better and better. Well, your Ohio Bobcats um, are projected to be a ten win team, right? Yep. So th- that that was a big win for the Aztecs, and so that's got to give them a lot of confidence. Um, like you said, you know, we'll find out when we get to week three. But hopefully they're not looking ahead. Because, I mean, can you imagine if they lost to Idaho State? Idaho just, State doesn't have enough players at 2-20 and 20 the last two years. Yeah, so hopefully this is going to be a chance for them to kind of get healthy and, and get primed up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going this Saturday. I'm hoping there's going to be a lot of people there. It's a night game, so I think that'll be a little bit easier. We carry on with the conversation. This place is called Fans Forum. What have you got to say? All right. So here's here's a comment here from Beto. He says, do you think Notre Dame has a chance this year? Huge question. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame stomped Navy over in Dublin, Ireland last week. But I don't put any credence in that because Navy is in the middle of a new coaching staff with a massive rebuild and a such disparity in the talent level between the Irish and the midshipmen. Um, I was I was really stunned. Tyler Buckner left South Bend to go to Alabama, but people people talk, players walk, money speaks, and that's probably got something to do with it. Um, Notre Dame has just not been what Notre Dame used to be way back in the day. I mean, the Lou Holtz era is a long time ago, <laughs> uh, but it, it's still a really really special place. You talk about venues. First time I broadcast from South Bend, I stood up in the press box. It was on a Saturday. USC played late afternoon, late fall, and the sun was setting. John, I swear to you, (laughs) I stood there on on the press row, and I looked to the left down the back, the outer end of the stadium, and there's that build academic building. With the mosaic, mm-hmm. touchdown Jesus. Yeah, that's a thing. Holy cow, I looked at that. And I just said, yeah, that mystique is real. Yeah. And, you know, the players, they come out of the tunnel. And when they look up, what's the first thing they see? Touchdown Jesus. Yeah. So great, great venue. And it's a great program historically. I mean, going back to the 1920s and 1930s, oh, yeah. you walk around that campus, you walk around that stadium. If that stadium could talk, could it tell you some stories? Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's great. I, I toured there during the off season one time and it was really neat. Um, just kind of a weird tangent, but did you like the movie Rudy? It was okay. I thought a little cornball in it, but that, yeah. I was I had a very good working relationship with Dan Devine. Oh, you did? Yes. Yeah, Dan, after he, he retired from Notre Dame, he he came to Arizona State, and actually he was part of our broadcast team, and he'd do some historical perspective stuff. Cool. He's just a fascinating, nice man to to listen to. He did obviously did some really cool things at Notre Dame. Okay, let's move on. Transform Mo- continues. Moving on. Let's go here to John, and he says, 
I moved to South Carolina last year. Just found the saw after all this time. Well, South Carolina Clemson's pretty doggone good. Now, South Carolina's Gamecocks have not been what the Clemson Tigers have been. That's that's a pretty fierce rivalry. It'd be neat to see South Carolina be able to, quote, get back to where they used to be. Of course, Clemson, I don't think Clemson's the same program now, but, you know, you, you talk about history and legacy and Clemson got really good and Clemson beat the daylights out of South Carolina but South Carolina historically has had the ability to come back I don't think they get the same level of recruits I think South Carolina has to quote coach them up but that's that's pretty doggone good rivalry. And what makes college football? Rivalries. Rivalries, yeah. So, yeah, friends of ours, their daughter went to Clemson, and they told they went back there with her, and they went to the football games, and they were talking about what an amazing event it is. Oh, it's a, and they come, I guess they come running down a hill, like, to, before they go into they the stadium. The rock. Yeah. So it's just all that stuff, you know. Um, the, 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 the ceremonial things, the historical things make college football so much different than the NFL. But, you know, speaking here about John, he's in South Carolina rediscovering you. You wouldn't believe the amount of people on social media that have rediscovered you because of this podcast and their thrill. Podcast, Instagram, we are everywhere. You can't believe people, the numbers of people that are subscribing to what we're doing on this podcast, the number of quote views. We we do the 50 second commentary that we post on Instagram. We got 40,000 views in two days. It's yeah. just absolutely stunning. Stunning. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, you know, people love you, Hacksaw. On we go. On we go. This is a different John. He says, for all the folks changing conferences, be careful what you ask for. What has Nebraska won since they left the Big 12 or Texas A&M? What have Rutgers and Maryland won in the Big 10? Well, I concur. And, you know, it's interesting, John. There's a side story here because we've talked about this a couple weeks ago. I believe what I've been told by other college people, that when these five-year contracts, the mega TV contracts that are out there right now, when these contracts expire, the networks are going to come back to the universities and the conferences and saying, we're not paying you $50 million so you can give it to Rutgers or to Vanderbilt, etc. We want you to form a super conference and we'll pour our money into a 20 or 25 team super conference and then we'll give you some other money you can distribute to your non-winning programs. (laughs) I think we call it a Champions League. I think this is eventually I bet five years from now if John is still talking to me uh, we may have another rebuilding, restructuring of college football in which the elite football programs are in their own conference and they're going to get all the paydays because I, I just don't think that these conferences want to pay $50 million a year to Oregon State and Washington State and the bottom feeders, all these other conferences around the league. Well, imagine if they did that. I mean, we were just talking about how I'm tired of seeing Alabama and Ohio State. And, you know, and if they went to that super conference, those guys would get more money and they'd be have more control and all the have nots would be further down the list. So I don't know. But, uh, um, you know, th- th- this is an interesting question. I mean, like Texas A&M, as an example, they had a nice little run there in the SEC with with uh, Johnny Manziel. They did, but that's it has not continued. Right. And, you know, these guys that have jumped conferences, you know, Nebraska, Big Ten. Yeah. Why? <laughs> what have they accomplished? Last I heard, they kept firing coaches. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's the exact same thing. There's some people out there in these other conferences just make no bloody sense. Boston College, Atlantic Coast Conference. Yeah? 
Really? <laughs> BC equal to North Carolina in basketball? Is mm. BC equal to anybody in football in well, the ACC? I mean, it depends if Doug Plutie's playing. Yeah, it's just just <laughs> absurd. Okay, move on. Okay, here's one another one from here from TR, and he says, need at least a 16-game playoff, uh, t- team playoff, to give all 130 or so teams a shot at the beginning of the season? What do you think? Yeah, but the problem is you can— you know, now we're we're discussing twelve, and now now you're texting us, emailing us from left field. You want sixteen? Does that not mean you're going to have a bunch of fifty to seven games in the playoffs? Is that is that really good for college football? Again, as John has alluded to, and rightfully so, the haves are up here. There's an awful lot of have-nots down here, and now you're going to say, well, gee, we'll take 16 teams. Well, that means you may have some have-nots that qualify to get in, and then they get beat 63-7. to Is that really good for college football? It's very different from March Madness and the ability of a little guy to beat a big guy. But, but that gives the little guy the opportunity to become a have. Because if they're constantly a have-not and they never get a chance, they're never invited to the dance— you know, in this case, a 16-team playoff, then they're doomed. They're, they're, they have no chance. But if you get, like TCU had a nice run there, you know, they got to the national championship, then people start paying attention and recruits want to go there. So I think it's a great thing. And then plus you give, like, you know, Boise State, who frankly has been so deserving to be in the playoffs for a while and never got in, now you're going to let them get in. And let's and they beat Oklahoma. Remember that about 15 years ago. Imagine if they got in and, and there were some more of those upsets. Okay, if you're expanding the playoffs, I think we'd be arguing about this over a beer going forward. Let's carry on with a couple more in fans forum. Okay, this is kind of conference-related, but not necessarily football. What's going to happen with San Diego State men's soccer in the Pac-12? That's a huge question, but they can play. They can play a bunch of those guys as, quote, non-conference. Now, you know, nobody's talked about what happens to the Olympic sports as part of SC and UCLA going that way to the Big Ten. Those schools are taking those Olympic sports that way. I don't understand what anybody thinks there's any value for UCLA and USC's soccer team to have to go play at Michigan State. But I think the Aztecs will be able to scatter gun schedules so they can play these games and they would, quote, be independents. And they'll continue to play whatever is left here in Southern California and in the region. It's, you know, soccer's different. Not everybody in the, quote, Mountain West plays soccer. Weather's got a, elements have got a lot to do with that. So I think there will be enough games. Will there be a conference to accede to to try to grab hold of? That that becomes a big question. But the Washingtons of the world and, you know, San Diego State Washington have a pretty good soccer robber. I've been up there to that Aztec deck to watch soccer. That's kind of a cool experience. The Washingtons of the world who are relocating to other conferences, they're going to need a place to have some of their teams play, quote, non-conference game. So I think the Aztec scheduling probably will be will be okay. It's This is one of those factoids that kind of catches you by surprise when you find out that San Diego State soccer is actually in the Pac-12. You know, and it's ironic since San Diego State's been wanting to be in the Pac-12 forever, <laughs> and at least soccer made it. Um, let's get some more comments here. Here's one from Greg, and he says, is there a chance these new conferences just do this for football and go back to regular conferences for all their sports? Might be a good compromise. Well, possibly. Uh, I also spin back to what John and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, that when these set of TV contracts expire, you may see the networks 
play a different brand of hardball against these conferences, which would then say, okay, conference schools, you just go back to who you used to be, you play regional rivals, etc., and you go from there. Um, It's an awful tough call. Nobody knows. We're just kind of spitballing here ideas. Uh, I don't. I just don't like any aspect of what USC, UCLA did than what Oregon, Washington did. I, I might be old school. Yes, I got gray hair. So does he. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, conferences success has been built on rivalries over generations, and they turned their back on the legacy and the history of what the conference was for a massive payday, so they could go play freaking games in Iowa City, and. Iowa State, I just, I just, sorry, I just don't like the concept of what they did. Well, I like this compromise idea because uh, this this whole thing is about football. I mean, all the money, all the TV contracts, it's all football. I mean, there's really no financial benefit for Cal's track and field team to go play Wake Forest. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's all the football money. So maybe they just need to peel off football separately and then let everyone else kind of go back to normal. As we said, Champions League, maybe five years down road. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do a couple more here. Okay, let's get some social media comments in here. And uh, let's go to this one here. And I think this is a good talk about Pac-12. This is from Loveland Kirk on Instagram. Bad for players, bad for students. They're talking about the merger potentially of the Pac-4 and the Mountain West. We talked about that weeks ago. Bad for players, bad for students, bad for fans, bad for alumni. What a shame. It's been downhill for the Pac-10 or Pac-12 ever since the Rose Bowl dropped being a Pac-10-12 Big Ten championship. Well, that's because TV changed everything. First it was a two-team playoff, then it was expanded to four, and now the suckers go into 12, and we got guys from left field are sending us messages, let's make it 16. So all the dynamics of the conference relationships and affiliations all changed. Uh, now, the Rose Bowl is going to be part of the college football playoff. The Rose Bowl, as we used to know it, USC versus Ohio State, just not going to be the same thing uh, going going forward. In terms of if somebody drops down out of the Pac-2, if Washington State, Oregon State come here to this conference, it's going to be great for the conference because those are really good athletic programs and very good football programs, and they'll add they'll add more oomph uh, to the conference. But I, by the same token, it's tough if you're in Corvallis or Pullman and you're the president of the university to have to make that decision because then you're walking away from whatever was left in the history and legacy. And you're taking a massive cut in TV money, and you need that TV money because in about half these schools, the TV money is their lifeline to be able to fund Oregon State baseball and everything else that goes with it. Yeah. I just remember as a kid, it was always the Big Ten and the Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time when they had the Rose Bowl. And I always thought it was kind of odd that the the, the USC-UCLA for them was like a home game, you know. But um, uh, I was just escaped what I was about to – oh, I know what I was going to say. So sometimes – remember back in history before we had the BCS playoff and these bowls were the conferences, the way they were aligned – but then you'd end up with a situation where there'd be two undefeated teams and there was no chance for them to play each other. To me, that was so frustrating as a fan. I mean, didn't USC win a national champion or co-championship one year? Yeah, and it was also the huge argument about the ratings, you know, the rankings. Mm-hmm. How, how could we be 12-0 and not be number one? Exactly. You know, that was a great, massive debate 
about the polls and who voted in the polls. And did you, did you watch us before you voted in the polls? And it just went, this thing never, ever was solidified to the point of this is the best way to do it because it was constantly in a change in state of flux. Moving on. Okay. Uh, Reggie Bush. We got to talk more about him. People are loving this comment. This is from John. He says, so what do you say about the 200 violations at Tennessee and no bowl bans, 90 plus violations at Alabama, no bowl bans or any sanctions, both slaps on the wrist. And then Penn State and Sandusky and 30 plus years of sexual abuse. They get nothing. What about Miami buying prostitutes and having keggers for underage recruits? No bowl bans and law of scholarships. NCAA is corrupt and unfair. Reinstate Reggie. Big question to me, and I said this last week. If Reggie was innocent, why did not Reggie not cooperate with the NCAA probe? He could have professed his innocence a decade ago, and if the NCAA cracked on him, so be it. Instead, he stayed silent. He returned the trophy, did not say anything, had a really nice NFL career, became a TV analyst. And now all of a sudden he feels slighted and wants to be taken care of for what happened way back when. He should have cooperated and he could have professed his innocence in front of everybody and stood face to face with the NCAA and said, no, I did not do this. But the NCAA also had all this documentation that he did do it, and he did get these benefits, and the family surely got these benefits. So because he's homegrown, I just I can't stand on his street corner and say this guy got screwed because I think this guy took some things, and I know his family took a bunch of things. He just He should have said that. You know, on the flip side is he could have always stood up if he did do it, and he could have apologized to his alma mater. Mm-hmm. And he could have apologized to the NCAA, but he didn't do any of that. Now he now he wants to be quote taken care of, decades after the facts. I I just have a problem in terms of the NCAA. Depending on what decade you're in, their ability to police sports has has been off the charts. Sometimes it's here horrible. Sometimes it's here heavy handed. You know, you just talked about Tennessee. Tennessee will never be a national power for the next five to ten years. They didn't get a bowl ban. But they took so many scholarships and recruiting visits away. I mean, they tagged Tennessee like they tagged USC. They're just going to be non-competitive. And, I, you know, I can't, I can't go back 25 years and cite you song and verse about Texas, Texas A&M and all the junk that went on with the big cigars and the boosters and all that. That was a different era. A tough job, police, because the NCAA directory is yay thick. The rules are so complicated, et cetera. So I don't have an answer to any of this. But because of all the problems, the death penalty to SMU and things of that nature, we've now put the academic performance rating plan into place where these guys have to go to class on a track to graduate and must get grades. And they are a lot of them are still doing it. So it was really tacky in the past. As as I said, the letters SEC Southeastern Conference really stood for, (laughs) sure, everyone cheats. And back in the day, Texas, Texas A&M and all those guys, SWC, someone will cheat. (laughs) Those are good ones. I'll tell you what, though. In social media, it's overwhelming the amount of people that support Reggie Bush on this. Hometown boy, though, right? Well, yeah, but it's it's all. Well, they're probably USC fans, too. But there are a lot of people that claim he's innocent. He didn't agree to these agents. But you said he signed the the contract, right? I mean, so 
It's, it's, I, don't, I don't know what to think about this, but the fans are definitely on Reggie's side. Okay. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. That's why we're doing this podcast. Let's <laughs> do one more here before we put a lid on our Thursday show. Okay. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about the Aztecs and trying to fill up that stadium. Because there, you know, there's been a lot of comments online about what's the reason. And this is uh, from the Green Dragon. And he says, pricing <laughs> could be an issue. I am both a Nevada and San Diego State fan. I've, I've seen a disconnect between the economic hardship and and what college sports view as their worth. Families won't come if it makes more sense to watch the game on TV. And without people in the stands, you lose the future fan base. Well, I concur with you. You know, when I was the voice of the Aztecs, that was in the Marshall Falk era, and they were drawing forty-five to 50,000 per game. That three-year run was phenomenal. I thought San Diego State had arrived as a football program, and then instead Al Luganville got fired, and the thing kind of went off track. And they just they never regained their momentum. I thought Snapdragon Stadium would make a big difference, and I think the San Diego State Athletic Department and whoever guided them made a horrific mistake in the pricing because, to me, it looked like it was a money gouge. Price of tickets— Price to park, concessions, and you have to make donations to, quote, be a member of one of the clubs. It was absurd. And then you add in the fact, oh, by the way, they're in the Mountain West Conference, and I just, I can't get hyped about Wyoming, who's coming in here to play. And then you put a a rugged football season and all that controversy, and you throw in COVID, They lost all their momentum going in, and then they overpriced the thing. And I I think the thing that really bothers me is they have lost the fans in this community. These people are not coming back because now you got the disappointment of you didn't get into the the Pac-10 conference or the Pac-12, and we're here in the Mountain West, and there's a stigma about being friends with Wyoming and Colorado State and the Air Force Academy. So. They just – they're in a place that's not a good place in terms of being big time, and they're charging – absurd prices. And I think that that's been a big lashback. And I don't know how they rebuild that. Well, that's been the primary objection in social media is the price. But think about like if you're J.D. Wicker and it's 2017 and you've had this vision for this stadium. And back then, you know, the economy, this is before COVID. So the economy wasn't blown up. And, you know, things were generally pretty good in, in the economy. And then you, um, you know, the basketball team was good. The Aztec football team was in the bowls every year. Their offense was really a lot more exciting then. And they're probably thinking, well, yeah, this is our time to cash in. And then, oh, by the way, we'll be able to use a lot of these funds to reinvest into the program, build new facilities. San Diego State's going to rise to a new level. They probably had this utopian vision of what was going to happen. And then everything went to hell. I mean, there was COVID. There are two years in L.A. The the, the offense regressed a bit. Um, so now suddenly it's a different reality. And yeah, so like I'm going to go to the game this Saturday, but it's a night game. I think it starts at seven. So I think, you know, the the the, the heat and shade problem is not going to be an objection. But I, I'm going to see what this experience is like. I'm looking forward to it. I hope so. I mean, I I, I I've said those are honorable leaders they have in Wicker and Brady Hoke. They have a history of really good coaches. They got good kids. And that's the coolest thing because I'm down there all the time. They're just really neat young men who are playing, but also going to class and making things happen. But the lashback in the community, John, there were almost 10,000 unsold tickets for the opening home game. 
There are 11,000 unsold tickets for Idaho State. And they're playing UCLA in week three. And there's 8,000 unsold tickets really? still because the prices are vroom. Well, and, on, on StubHub, on the resale market, they're insane. Yeah. Now, maybe that'll change. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe one o'clock Saturday afternoon on StubHub or the other resale venues, you might get a ticket for $17. Okay. And the prices are going to come way down. But the prices they're asking are just so through the roof, especially for the marquee games. Now, the same thing's happening in basketball because I, they do charge a significant chunk for, quote, the elite games. Mm-hmm. And there's that club fee. You got to pay for that. So I uh, maybe we were too small market for so long we never understood what was happening around us in college football. Or maybe they uh, were too arrogant to just try to hit these people with these ticket prices and surcharges and club memberships to buy the ticket. I just think they made a terrible mistake, and I don't know how they're going to get the community back. That's the big thing. Well, the way to get the community back is just win, baby. That's what it has to be. If they keep winning, they're going to be fine. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Thursday podcast. We invite you to tell all your friends about what we're doing. Share all the data. And again, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. By the way... Uh, John's going to be very upset at me at 6 o'clock tonight when he reads my column. I wrote a one-man's opinion column about Neon Dion Prime Time nice. and all the bull crap at Colorado. Uh, <laughs> he won't agree with me. He won't be talking to me at 6 o'clock tonight. But check my website. You'll really like it. Hope you've enjoyed what we're doing. We spin back in here Monday for our bonus podcast next week. NFL preview with the opening of the season. Our podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Nine locations to serve you. Fix it, build it, you will enjoy it at Dixie Line Lumber. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. I'm looking forward to all the good stuff coming. And for all you across the country joining us on our weekly podcast, thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.